hoping that this works properly. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Three hundred and fifty, no, four hundred and fifty-seven of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly, and I'm joined by Santi. Hi, guys. It's Andre. been a while. Andres. Hello. Welcome. An English town. Good evening. Um, and what we're hoping works properly is the microphone because it's quite old um, and it's starting to show its age. Just trying to get it switched on just now to start recording was a little bit of a panic because it didn't seem to want to switch itself on, and the batteries are definitely charged. And then it switched itself off again quite soon afterwards. So we're not going to touch it now for the duration of this recording. May I ask uh, how old is it? Ten-ish years. I can't remember. Gotta be ten years. Oh, yeah. Nine or seven. Have you been using the same mic for the entirety of the podcast? No. No. I've been using it for nine or ten years. Wow. We've been going even longer than that mic. (laughs) The podcast is twelve and a half years old. And we're also showing around. I wasn't that far off. No, no, you won't. But uh, it's not not quite the same age. Anyway, um, we're not going to. We've had a couple of weeks off that were unplanned, um, but we're back now. And because we've had a couple of weeks off, and one of those weeks, one of those weeks, yes, only one of them had a midweek round of matches. Um, there has been a lot of mm. Argentine football played while we've been away. So rather than go with individual results and I'm not going to read you out all the scores now we're going to give you the broad brush strokes to get everybody back up to speed with what's going on in the league and then talk about a bit of off the pitch stuff as well as we record by the way uh, Racing versus Aucas not Outcast uh, is on in the Copa Libertadores uh, so if you hear Dan moan or exclaim then it will probably be because of the goal Aucas have just clawed one back very early in the second half Andre 3000 on the score sheet Yes, indeed. Um, to We're playing fantastically it. before all you guys came here. If it gets to 2 0, <laughs> I might have to ask you to leave. Racing led 2 0 at half time and it's now 2 1. So, you know, listen to this space. You'll know how the match finishes because we're going to be recording for longer than the game takes. Um, so, yeah, anyway, we're going to do narrative. And we're going to focus unapologetically this week, I think mostly on the Big Five, for different reasons. I'll give you the reasons at the top of the episode. They are that River and San Lorenzo are very much both involved in the title race, as they were when we last recorded. One more than the other now. Uh, yes, it, so. it admittedly yeah. is looking slightly like it might turn into a one-horse race. Uh, but San Lorenzo are, are doing a good job as well. Um, Racing and Independiente have continued to be Racing and Independiente. And obviously we've now got, slightly unexpectedly, but we have an Independiente <laughs> fan with us as well as a Racing fan, much more expectedly. Yeah. Well, it's um, been a pretty action-packed two or three weeks for Independiente yeah. since, we, Jesus um, Christ. since we last yeah. recorded. And we'll get on to both of those clubs in a bit, along with River and San Lorenzo, but first I think we're going to start with Boca because we dedicated quite a bit of our last episode uh, three weeks ago 
to the fact that the day after it went online, and before a lot of you would have uh, got around to listening to it, according to our television, uh, Boca were definitely going to be unveiling Gerardo Martino as their manager. It was a and done deal, right? He'd, they were saying he'd agreed yeah. Yeah, get ready to pack his bags, come back we, to Argentina. We, we did qualify this, if I remember rightly, I think I said that this was all assuming that the people who Tay Say Sports were talking to were trustworthy. <laughs> and about six or eight hours or something after uh, that episode went online, Gerardo Martino told Boca Juniors that he wasn't interested in the manager's job. We have to do a disclaimer there because it wasn't Tay Say Sports, the one, well, it was Tay Say Sports, the channel. Yeah, but they were talking to people, weren't they? they were, but they were their sources at the club who were saying, oh, it's done. The, the journalists who inform about the clubs there are like river journalist, Boca journalist, right? And and that's the one who informed that is was the, the the Boca dedicated journalist. Yes, exactly. So it's, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if, you, if you're listening and you're one of Tayse Sports' legal team, then please don't sue us. But uh, <laughs> that's what's happened. Um, I can't remember how many matches Boca have exactly played since we last recorded. But what I do know, looking at this, is that they've lost their last three league games, two one. Uh, at home to Colón, 1-0 away to San Lorenzo, and 1-0 at home to Estudiantes. But have you told the listeners under what manager did those, those games? Uh, I'm just checking now who they lost, who they were playing under when they... It was Neto, no, that was Colón's yeah, but manager. You, are, you still haven't said who is the actual manager of Boca well, right now. So, so one was they did have a coach, yes. The, yeah. the Colón defeat was before we last recorded, because for that one, Jorge Almiron was ah, right. still the manager. Okay. Um, was the San Lorenzo? Oh, wait, well, was still the manager. No, Ron, I think. No, I mean, Ron. No, was still. But he's, he is still the coach now. He's just taken out. Yes. Yeah. Oh, sorry, right. In that yeah. case, it's happened. Uh, yes, so Jorge yeah. Amiron is the new manager. Yes. You're quite, yes, exactly. I've already internalized it <laughs> to such an extent that I'm already preparing for him to be sacked. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, basically, he lost his first three league games in charge. Was he in charge for the Libertadores game against Monagas, or was that the caretaker? Uh, no, no, that was still Erron. Uh, that was Mariano Erron. Um, yeah. So he has, he has now managed his um, first Almiron, this is, has managed his first victory as Boca manager in the Copa Libertadores against Pereira. Um, that looked like it might be a defeat as well for a long time because uh, Pereira went 1 0 up with about 14 mm -hmm. minutes to go and Boca had to come back and win it very, very late on through Alan Barrera. Uh, that was on Tuesday night, wasn't yes. it? Yeah, right. Tuesday. Tuesday. Um, in the Bombonera. So he's arrested a run of three consecutive home defeats for Boca because they also lost to Instituto back in uh, late, well, mid-March, which was their previous uh, home match. I can't think of very many times that Boca Juniors have lost three consecutive matches it's in the Bombonera. 50 years, I think. 52 50 years. years. Yeah. Doesn't say if it happened often. during the duration of this podcast being recorded. Yeah, the, it was said that the, since the Metropolitano in 1971, that Boca that amount of matches home condition. Wow. wow. Um, in short, it, it's not going great for them. No. Their next matches are away to Rosario Central, at home to Racing. Tricky. Um, and then they've got Colo Colo away in the Libertadores, and then the Super Clásico on the. Don't know whether this is confirmed kickoff time or not, but here it says the seventh of uh, May at. I, I think five. Anyway, I think that uh, we will talk about the title race later, but I think Boca is out, so they will focus naturally on. on yeah, Colo. it's all Libertadores for that. Yeah, 
Uh, I mean, you say that, but they're... Uh, 16. Yeah, they're, yeah they're but I think, I think Boca were in, in this position or a very similar position when Ibarra was confirmed as manager. Mm, I think they were closer. It was early in the season and... Was it a, was it a title season? leading team wasn't River, it was Atletico Tucumán. Which, no disrespect to Atletico Tucumán, but you'd imagine River won't drop as many points no, absolutely. as they were. Absolutely. But, uh, but anyway, I mean, they weren't in a very different position anyway. So, Rui Barra was in charge when Boca played Atletico Tucumán. Uh, was that round one? No, 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 no. Uh, he took over just after the Libertadores exit. Exactly. Against the Corinthians. Mid-July? Yeah. Mid-July. Yes. And yeah, that, yeah, sure. that, and that, uh, that tournament started in early June. Yeah. So, well, yeah, it was a little bit earlier in the, um, in the campaign. Hmm. I think seven, eight games gone, something like that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah... If you're a Boca fan, then we're sorry that we're not updating you on a glorious four consecutive wins under Gerardo Martino. Uh, but them's the breaks sometimes. Um, I, I saw, I've mentioned a few times that I'm in a trivia group of, of just general football trivia mm. people um, on WhatsApp. It's not related to Argentine football at all. But one of them recently opined that every time they watch, I think he said it was Brighton, they seem to have a player on the pitch who he's just never heard of before. And admittedly, I am a bit, you know, not as fully plugged in 24 hours a day to Argentine football as I used to be. But I kind of feel like that with Boca sometimes. Every, every time I put one of their games on, one of somebody on the pitch or on the bench, I'm just looking at it going, I've never heard that name before. Um, and so I'm wondering whether somebody sitting around the table who's been paying more attention to them than me can fill me in on who just generally who should be in the starting lineup compared with who actually is in the starting lineup because the other night Benedetto, Bisha and Priasco were the front three and we know that they've not been playing well all year. I mean we've mentioned it plenty of times. By the way, as you might have already guessed, Benedetto again Alcas have just equalised, it's now two two in this game. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well Alcas is a debutant but Cesar uh, Farias I think is the coach who is mm. quite experienced with Yeah, yes, Venezuelan. Uh, Andres Alex, I was saying about all Benedetto. Of you. That again, I think he get, again uh, got out with, with an injury. Uh, yes, he did. Yes, it's it's really yeah, worrying. Benedetto has, uh, I think he's, uh, yeah, has a, yeah, I don't know the word in English for it, like uh, the garro. I can't remember what words are like. Uh, tear, muscle yeah, tear. Yeah, a tear, muscle tear. Yeah, he had a muscle tear. I think uh, Ramirez was also out, or Paul Fernandez, one of one of the two. Paul Fernandez. Uh, Played. He played the whole game. Yeah. Oh, okay. 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 But there were uh, like uh, two or three like main starters, but there were also players who were not uh, performing at the best in the, in the last few games. Hmm. But uh, that that would be huge opportunities for players who at one point were favoured by Ivana before the usual suspects, you know, of uh, Benedetto and Bija and Ramirez, etc., were back in the starting lineup. So it's an opportunity for Melendiel, an opportunity for Nangoni, opportunity for Valentin Barco. Yeah, just, just about to say, oh, about left back. Just when the ship, the ship was sinking and Mark appeared. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> he's been talked about a lot. I think it was last year or the year before he popped up as like a 17 year old unknown and had a couple of very good games for Boca. And I think Since after that, he had a 
fairly serious injury. It says on the surface. No, no, you know what I have. You know, uh, I I I remember that saga because uh, those couple games in which he played were the ones which you remember, like uh, in mid twenty twenty one. Mm-hmm. when uh, the Boca team were held by the Argentine government because they weren't uh, tested or some of them, a lot of them were, that uh, was were tested yeah, yeah. positive for COVID and that meant that the reserve team, which was back then still managed by Sebastián Bataglia, imagine mm-hmm. how long had passed, they were still managed by Bataglia and they played and Valentin Barco was one of the people who made the, one of the better impressions mm-hmm. for that team in, in that you know kind of forced... Uh, first team debut. As around the same time, Enzo Pérez went in goal for Boca. There was also sorts River. of uh, River, of course, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, all sorts of silliness was going on. Exactly. Uh, that stuff yeah. that now, with the, the power of hindsight, we can look at it and say, like, what the fuck we were thinking about. But anyway. Um, yeah, there were times in which in when Fabra was untouchable. Yeah. Uh, and Well, now it's Fabra injured, Sandes, I think, also injured. Or yeah, or and, and bo- oh, even, yeah, even if both were injured, they were also, you know, desperately out of form, which for a lot of Boca fans, they were asking, like, what the hell is Barco doing for not, not to be even uh, considered for the first team under Bataglia or even Ibarra? And there have been rumors that there have been, you know, some disputes with his agent or with himself, yes. some discipline issues, and behavior, yes. disciplinary like issues. So, I mean, there's been no kinds of, you know noise around this kid and uh, some fans were even losing hope in, this, in, the, in the sense that but maybe he was just something but if going, you were going to uh, get rid of a player who doesn't behave well at Boca you have to get rid of all of the players hmm. yeah but I don't, I'm, I don't know if that's really going to be the case I think it depends on who you behave who you behave badly against because yes. I mean if you have some bad behavior but you're still loyal to some a certain kind of people within Boca, yes. you're almost a shit to play forever. If you do like Almendra, uh, you're out. Like now, it's a it trust. It depends on who who you piss off. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you piss the right people off, you may still you know play for Boca for many many more years. If you piss the wrong people off, then that's that's your career gone. At Indeed. Boca. Anyway, Barco has played the last two matches because he played um against Independiente uh, against uh, sorry not Independiente Estudiantes as well. The mm-hmm. defeat at the weekend. Um, so maybe this is his chance to stake a claim for a regular slot. In fact, slot. the other night uh, he uh, took the cross uh, in order for Varela to... to yeah, he got the assist on the, the very last goal. Mm. I think it was 99th minute goal or, yeah. right. or something like that. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's Boca. We'll move on because the Clásico was played at the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... I was going to say unusually, but actually I think it's entirely usual that uh, our resident Independiente fan and our resident Racing fan, because you know we still count Seba as a resident even though he never actually turns up right. recording, um, all expected their own team to suffer a torrid hammering. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I feel unfortunately, like unfortunately for those of us who were neutrals, none of them were right. It was a pretty dull game. Oh, I was. I mean, dire, well. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, mean, I don't know. Santi, yeah. you're you're not here as often, so let's hear your update on. And I want some updates as well, not only on what's going on on the pitch for Independiente, but also on the situation off the pitch, where the president has just resigned, like five or six months after being voted in. Yeah, saying that he's done his job, and his job apparently was just to prevent Moshano from getting voted back in. And so, what now? There's going to be another um, election, presumably, at some point, or. 
Oh, it's a long story. So, uh, if you don't like it when I ramble on for long periods of time about independence in a politics, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, you can feel free to skip ahead. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I mean, you know when uh, you have uh, this nar narrative about, among certain, you know, clubs, especially in England, uh, where you call them... I mean, there's this general narrative about crisis clubs and clubs that every once in a while, you know, they fall into the same kind of uh, uh, state of despair. Like, uh, I feel like um, I've never, I mean, I kind of did, but at the same time, I was never prepared to, for, that, for that threat to be existential mm -hmm. towards Independiente. Because we all knew, we have all known, uh, if you listen to this podcast at least, the extent to which Independiente are uh, completely drowned in debt to many people and in such a short-term notice. They, uh, actually, the, the Doman administration estimated... That's, that's that, the president is just Exactly. The, the, the people who won the election six, year, six months ago uh, estimated that Independiente owe about $20 million dollars. They made some very pretty graphs and everything showing exactly. all itemized. That was probably the highlight of the Yeah, that was uh, probably... Yeah. Fantastic graph work. That and the campaign to uh, grow the the member the members in Atene Peinta, they, they've done not like 20,000 new members in like a really short period of time. But uh, they don't know where that money is. So that's one huge... Uh, <laughs> One huge, huge uh, red flag for that, but uh, that taking into account the Chinese supermarket. Uh, yeah, that that that's that's included within that. But uh, I mean, one one can only assume. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, the, at the focus of it, their project was this um, was what they were going to do with the football and uh, their decisions. Uh, um, having considered the fact that they still have uh, such so much debt and their their hands are almost tied to you know do most business. They still uh, put their trust on someone like Pablo Caballero, the former Argentina goalkeeper and former Vélez uh, director of football, who was not exactly very well regarded by Vélez fans, to build a squad and to name a manager. Mm -hmm. They named a manager who was uh, a former assistant manager of Arias Holland and uh, Gustavo, who was it? Uh, Gustavo Quinteros, was it? Mm. Yeah, I think it was Gustavo Quinteros. No, Quinteros, no. Uh, well... Another someone else, uh, a former assistant manager whose only first team experience was at Dock Sud in the lower reaches of Argentinian football. That went not, not very far away though. Yeah, so they wouldn't have had to you know give him much petrol on it yeah. the commute. They could use the old Frank Lamp Lampard um, justification. Oh, he knows the neighbourhood. He knows <laughs> exactly. He knows he knows the the he area. Good pizza places. He, he knows there. the area yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he might be very knowledgeable of the of Avellaneda, but not exactly of you know for. First division football because he won his first game, and then Independiente never won a game again. So <laughs> that meant that he was uh, sacked in mid-March. But uh, the job to find the next manager for Independiente became increasingly difficult because more and more people were just saying, "No, I don't want to take charge of such a poor squad with so little, um, you know." No, so little space to do what I want with the squad. It's a it's a terrible squad. It's probably one of the worst squads in the painting I've ever assembled. I probably with no possibility to to uh, hire uh, to, to sign yeah to players. yeah to, to sign new players because yeah I but mean then they did sign they just signed awfully exactly you almost get the feeling 
I mean, they would have been better off saying, look, there's no money. We can't sell anyone. We're going to go out with yeah, but 11 the kids. They, were, they, were, we they were kind of forced to sign players because there were a lot of them who were running out of their contracts. Notably, the likes of uh, uh, Alan Sonora and Leandro Fernandez, who are two of the better players of Independiente in the in the last few years, and they needed to sort out the defense because uh, they, a lot of changes were needed in that defense. It was a very poor defense, but the players they brought in were, I mean, Independiente's defense has never been so bad as it's been in the last uh, in the last few months. Uh, and the thing is, while they were still trying to hire a manager, they were. Um, trying to manage with this uh, assistant, the former reserves manager called Pedro Monzón. Um, some of you may know him as a World Cup finalist with Argentina as a player. But not a great manager at all. Actually, Nebin, they have played even worse football under him in the, in the month that he's been, you know, as an interim. Uh, and there was some serious signs of desperation with the, the Clásico de Avellaneda was coming up. There were some serious calls for... Uh, Doman to actually find someone and they were really close to finding someone uh, a Uruguayan manager named uh, Pablo Repeto who's, mo who's most famous for taking Independiente del Valle to a Copa Libertadores final he was a pretty decent well, man Nacional as well I think um, yeah he managed yeah. Nacional, he managed uh, Olimpia in Paraguay he had a quite uh, an impressive track record and for him to you know for Independiente and him, while Boca was still, you know, looking for a manager at the same time, it was quite the coup. But what happened? Independiente then lost to Estudiantes uh, in the week prior to facing Racing in the in the Clásico. That think, meant. I think that that was the weekend after we last recorded. So exactly. Now into mm -hmm. what's happened since we recorded mm -hmm. last. That's what happened, uh, and there were rumors that they would try to accelerate his uh, his appointment but instead of accelerating his appointment on Tuesday that week Fabian Doman resigns as president after being uh, elected six months before which meant of course that uh, the the appointment of Repeto was cr cr absolutely crumbled absolutely crumbled uh, and the club was sent to a state of uh, I'm not terror yeah terror there was some real fears um, um, among the fact that if these were the people who were supposed to, you know, try to do what they can uh, to salvage the club and their debts, and this guy was backing up, backing out six months after it was elected, there was uh, some real sense that there was no hope for the, for the club. Nothing. And the uh, new guy in charge, the, I suppose, interim. Yeah. Um, also has to juggle his duties as... Sorry, is this the interim manager or the interim president? No, no, the interim, interim president. president. Yeah. The vice president. Yeah. He's also the mayor of Lanús. Yeah, which uh, he explicitly stated that he cannot do both things at the same time and he doesn't intend to become president for a long time. So he's taken a 30-day leave as the mayor of Lanús. Uh, and because of this, uh, uh, because of his resign, because of Doman's, uh, Doman resigning, they have to uh, work on uh, setting up an assembly within the, the next 90 days. I think it's going to be much earlier than that because of uh, this guy, Grindetti's duties uh, as uh, the mayor of Renus, in order to decide for this, for this current you know, administration to, de to decide who among the, the, man, the, the people who are still part of the administration will become the president. Right. There are a few candidates. Uh, it's not going to be like an, an election again, no, I think I'm not, you know, I'm obviously not particularly well versed with 
the specific terms of mm -hmm. the independiente statute but I imagine the only way you go to early elections is as is if there was a vote of no confidence in the exactly. current board and it passed in the assembly you know all that yeah there have been uh, you know there Stuff. there were you know some rumors that uh, they were going to be pushed to you know bankruptcy and maybe even uh, uh, being taken over as a public company they have um, denied all those rumors for now uh, but there have been some campaigns by uh, an influencer who wants to you know uh, create a, a, a donate make a donation a charity to from independent defense and from general people to try and fundraise pay off yeah, yeah they're trying to fundraise to pay off independent debts which I mean for it to, to get into the point where you have to you have to ask for an influencer to do this. It's so very... Um, but very he, he was cheating yeah. on that because he talked with Rinetti and that's why he made the move. Yeah, no, no, it's... Uh, so members won't give any money to Rinetti, but perhaps... Yeah, I mean, apparently there, there's, there's going to be two different, you know, uh, fundraising... Uh, fundraising, you know, moments. Uh, one is going to be carried out by... This guy Santiago Maratea, and the other one is going to, is going to be a, a fideicomiso. I don't know the word in English. Like, like a, a trust. trust. Yeah, yeah, a trust uh, that's going to be set up by the the president, the acting president. That the socios are going to be part of it if they so desire. Since then, Independiente have not won a game uh, still, but they appointed a manager, a Ooh. manager who I actually write, um, which is uh, Ricardo Zielinski. For this particular moment in time, it's a manager I write. And uh, even despite the fact that I finally reaching the, the game itself, I genuinely expected uh, Independiente to be crushed by Racing, despite Racing's malaise as well, because of the simple fact that Independiente had not won a game since the first uh, the first match week, and they had not won at home. Period. They played really well. They made a really decent account of themselves, and they uh, and they were very very close to winning. Uh, they created a lot of the a lot of the best chances of the game. And uh, it even ended in a 1-1 one -one draw because of a very, very contentious uh, refereeing decision. So, Independiente in the end became, you know, made a real, uh, a real, gave a really good account of themselves. Even the fans, I was expecting the game to be really tense among the fans, uh, really, you know, uh, even dangerous because of the situation, because of the, you know, how much you demand Independiente to win the, the yeah, classic. Like, like happened with Boca, that the, the supporters were... Uh, almost burning the the, the Monera to uh, yeah. shouting Dale Boca in for Independiente was similar because they, yeah they, but they, uh, but yeah I think I feel like the roles changed a little bit because I mean in the in the Copa Libertadores game you can see Boca fans actually growing fed up and singing uh, that very famous song that uh, uses uh, <laughs> Bonnie Tyler's "It's a Heartache" as the as the basis. While Independiente fans were actually really, really supportive of their own team and really, you know, trying to cheer them as much as they can. So it, it felt like kind of like a, a role reversal. For what exactly. the team gave, gave, gave you, yes, it's really incredible. So yeah, uh, at the end, Independiente kind of uh, came off that Clásico in a much better light. I think that Racing, even if, of course, they still have so much shit to deal with, but at least it was like a breath of fresh air in the sporting sense. Um, while he's slightly distracted by Racing attacking a corner, I'm now going to throw it over to Dan, who's going to fill us in on what was going on on 
the uh, the metaphorical other side of Abeshaneda, but very much the physical, actual, almost the same block of Abeshaneda, uh, where administratively things were a little more settled and secure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> on the pitch, you'd struggle to know it at times. It's not been great. Um, all the problems, yeah, are on the pitch rather than off it, which I guess is something. Um, but team, the team's just really been struggling to get everything together. Um, in, in fairness, though, it's been three matches as opposed to an entire season so far. Oh, yeah, That's absolutely. And, um, us, but still. Yeah. and we're sitting here on a first day night watching Racing in the Copa Libertadores, which they've played you know, three or four times out of the last four or five seasons. So, any, you, you know, that, you? no, just kind of putting it into perspective that this sporting crisis is not really a crisis. It's, it's a blip, but kind of goes back to something I've said a few times on this podcast over the course of the year, the season so far. You can't rely on Matias Rojas scoring ridiculously good goals every every game. You can, every third or fourth game, you can. Yeah. Um, mm. For example, I think the first game um, that happened before our uh, mini hiatus, um, a Libertadores game against New Blensi, where he just smashed one in from about 65 metres yes. out. Yeah, yeah, it's well inside his own half. Yeah, uh, absolutely nil, nil. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then uh, after that, a few pretty shoddy results for, for Racing, a 3-1 defeat away to Gimnasia. Uh, 1-0 against Newells in Avicenea, which was probably the worst of worst of the bunch, despite you know not being as big a scoreline as against Gimnasia. And then, yeah, a classical performance, which was just inexplicable, really. Um, Do you agree with, with Santi's summation of the um, decision that gave Racing the penalty that they equalised from? I must admit, when I first saw it, I thought, ah, there's no way this is getting given. Um, hmm. You know, just waiting for VAR to, to overturn it. Um, then I did a bit of digging into the into the rules and so that what was it given for I can't remember a shove a really yeah it was amateur a shove from Vashiko on Facundo right. uh-huh. and he kind of started the shove outside the box ah, and yeah, kept yeah. pushing him into the box yeah that's that's the part which cannot exactly be you know still proven entirely the fact that I mean there's undeniably a foul a childish foul at that mm. What's not yet proven is whether he was pushing him all the way into the penalty, into the box. No, it was. That's it the comes down to interpretation. When is a push a shove? Yeah, when is thing, a shove a hold? Yeah, but the thing is, uh, I mean, I think the the, the, the rule, the rule book uh, specifically talks about you know a pull rather than a push. So you can't. I mean, it's difficult to explain how you can still keep pushing someone all the way, like. Three to five meters from outside the box in to inside the box. So it's a yeah, it's it's a it's a contentious decision to say the least. Speaking of which, Racing have now got a they're looking at a red card for kicking the ball. And no, 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 for no yeah, for a for a step on, um, for stepping on. Yeah, but to go back, um, that's a VAR decision that's currently ongoing. By the way, I'm not saying they've had yeah. someone sent off, but it might happen. Dan, carry on. Yes, uh, continue with the classical. Um, really disappointed with. What I saw from Racing, um, I think I said, speaking to to these lovely fellas just after the game on our WhatsApp groups, kind mm-hmm. of, you had two pretty awful, pretty shit teams. Um, but what I saw as a difference was that 
Independiente knew that they're shit. <laughs> Just try to do as little with the ball as possible, get it, smash it up to Cauterucha, try and catch out Racing on the break. Just nothing fancy, nothing clever at all. And Racing did the complete opposite. So much dicking around in possession in the middle of the pitch. Like, He's sending him off for that. He's sending him off for that. Yeah. Brilliant. And um, he steps on his ankle after all. Yeah, so much dawdling on the ball and every time on the field, which is essentially not a midfield at the moment because the only kind of defensive midfielder in Racing's squad is injured at the moment, which is left that sector of the pitch. Correct. Which has left that sector of the pitch just a motorway, basically. Yeah. If a team recovers the ball from a Racing midfield, they're going to get to Gabriel Arias in the net and it's made for very, very stressful... Um, Stressful watching, um, but there is quality there in Racing um, with Rojas, as you mentioned, uh, Paulo Guerrero's getting getting to somewhere close to his best. Um, I think Gonzalo Piovi coming back in defence is gonna shore it up a little bit. Um, admittedly, both goals tonight came on the other side of the fence where he wasn't, um, which wasn't ideal. Uh, just a team that's got kind of the pieces uh, but is struggling to put them together in any sort of consistent way but as I say you know the league isn't coming to Racing this year not coming to Avicenera which I say I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that either side um, but hopefully we can see a nice deep run in the Libertadores it would be really good if they could stop fucking around and win this game after being 2-0 up. Um, I know the feeling. Yes. Hmm. But we shall see what the season has in store for him. Uh, not good at the moment, but with a little bit of hope that things will pick up. What the season has immediately in store for them are two uh, league matches coming up that could be a good way of playing themselves back into some form because they're at home to Atletico Tucumán, who are... 26th out of the 28 teams in the Liga Profesional at present and then they're away to Boca who it feels very unusual to say but if you were listening just a few minutes ago then you'll understand why are currently 19th I think it is um, in the league so after that they're at home to Flamengo in the Libertadores and then at home to Tacheres who are 4th in the league at the moment so Quite a sharp rise in quality yeah. and form. Um, yeah, for for Boca, it will be, will be uh, uh, interesting to see whether the, the that, that that win against per it was against Pereira, which means that a, a, a victory there is not surprising. But yes, it was because of the way they did it. If the, if it is enough yeah. for them to to lift their their confidence. We're going to take a half-time break now. Uh, when we come back, we'll discuss River San Lorenzo and the rest of the title race. So don't go away. As you 
probably heard we kind of took that break because Noella decided to come in and look for one of his toys. But to be honest, I think it was about time. And he's helped us because otherwise this episode was going to run the risk of being quite long. I think we cut about 35 minutes in, so it was around time to do it anyway. Um, but it means that now we're going to get back and, as I said, talk a little bit about the title race. But first of all, we're just going to mention that while we were taking that break, Rassing have scored... Uh, well, or had, fantastic had, had scored for them. Brilliant. Um, what looks like a winning goal with 10 seconds left now to play if the referee blows up right on 95 minutes. Um, it would not have looked out of place in the first leg of Manchester United against Sevilla last week. Um, in fact, it makes me feel slightly better about those two goals because, yeah, uh, look it up later if, if you think you've already seen the worst own goal of the year, <laughs> slash funniest. Um, is that it? That's full time. I think that's it. Yeah. Full time. Yes. Racing have. Um, yes. There we go. The scoreboard's now disappeared from the screen, so we're going to call it. Racing have beaten Alcast three two. They're in certainly the not disappointing in the entertainment stakes in this no. lower third. Is it? was a red card. The ridiculous Rocascoa well. mentioned just before the break in the first game, and now whatever that was I just saw yeah. of course so that's two wins from two in the Libertadores two wins from two yeah um, a team who have I changed my answer in the first half to win the best team <laughs> in the whole of South America a team who don't have two wins from two in the Libertadores are River they've got one defeat and now one win because yesterday they were involved in I mean particularly the first half which was the bit that I saw was highly entertaining uh, they went one nil down very early on they equalised and then went ahead through Nicolas de la Cruz and Lucas Beltran after 36 minutes. Two minutes after that second goal, Enzo Diaz got himself sent off for taking down, I mean, just almost rugby tackling the guy who was clean through on goal. Uh, Washington Corroso scored to equalise for Sporting Cristal from the resulting free kick. Uh, and then in the second half, with down to 10 men, River ended up winning 4-2. Um, in the league... They have found things rather easier because domestically we have to go back to February. The 26th of February mm-hmm. when they lost 2 1 at home to Arsenal de Sarandi for the last time they conceded a goal. Uh, they also lost, of course, and they've won every match since then, apart from, in all competitions, apart from the visit to the strongest in La Paz, which I think was just before we last. Yes, it was just before we last recorded. Um, since then they've beaten Huracan 3-0 in Parque Patricios Gimnasia 3-0 in Núñez and Newells 1-0 in Rosario um, I mean very very briefly Santi you're feeling uh, optimistic about Independiente visiting the Monumental nope <laughs> Andres um, I, I wouldn't underestimate anyway any team and I don't know whether Racing did or not but uh, the worst for a, a team a rival is I think the worst is for your team because uh, uh, to keep focused and not say not think even when you won't say it but think we will win this much easily uh, because they are the team is rubbish mm. I, I, I don't like that but uh, mm. uh, and of course there's, they've already had an effect to a rubbish Arashanina club this year yes. yes indeed in the form of Arashanina um, but domestically, I mean, since that defeat, it looks like it's all coming together 
quite nicely for them. River are top of the league, as we mentioned earlier on. They have a record of, well, those two defeats to Arsenal, and I can't remember who the first one was. Belgrano, Belgrano, yeah. Uh, in like the second weekend of the yes. match thing. And they've won the other 10 matches. They are the top scorers in the league. They've scored 22 goals, uh, two more than second top scorers, Tacheres. And they have the joint, yes, the joint best defence along with San Lorenzo. They've only conceded five. Um, and they're six points clear of San Lorenzo. So in terms of Martin Demichelis, you know, really taking on, in a way, the impossible job of replacing the most successful manager in Rivers history. It's not a bad start. No, no, no. I think that by that point, when they lost uh, Arsenal and Belgrano, I think it still wasn't clear and it was yeah, kind of logical Yes, for that to happen. Not clear what the Michelis uh, wanted to play. like. And now it's a bit more clear that when even when there is still eight matches, to, uh, no, uh, in in national in the first division mm. eight matches or no uh, no more than that 27 games in total so there's still 15 games to go but uh, played so far uh, there were oh 12 so far 12 ah yes uh, and plus two for Copa Libertadores 14 games mm. and yeah now the idea is clear it's uh, we we made a joke about the Guardiola style because there were people saying that 15, in fact, because they also beat Racing de ah. Cordoba in the Copa Argentina. Yes. Uh, and in the, in the, the week, uh, there were also other journalists from this report saying that it was River Munich because of hmm. the past of Michelis being the coach of the youth team of the Bayern Munich. Reserves. Uh, Reserves, yes. Uh, La Regina Liga. Well, it's the... the um, but um, uh, it's, I think the way that Michelis tries really to play is simple to draw in a blackboard but not so easy to make it in the pitch mm. and which is to bring a lot of players together and touch and try to move and not give reference to the rival uh, because you have a, a midfielder there a midfielder the other side yeah uh, the strikers who go back to to get the ball uh, and uh, uh, that is i think not, not so simple and, and i think the players quickly Adopt, adopt the, that idea and and, try, and and showed it in the in the in the matches and it's working perfectly and the the I think the most surprising thing is the almost not not suffering in defense yeah uh, and yeah, the clinches, as I said that they haven't conceded yes. a goal in <laughs> two months basically so, so now now it turns in, in, in the league yes but it turns to be like a balanced team but with a lot of attacking options uh, and alternatives and, and quite safe in defence, which is, I think, quite uh, quite difficult to achieve. And, of course, it's a lot of time of, of, of road to go, but, uh, yeah, so far it's brilliant. And, and taking players or recovering players that under the shadow weren't so, so uh, uh, well considered, like, for example, Gonzalez Pires, now it's, I think, a... Uh, uh, you wouldn't think of, 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 for example, Mamana to be there when under Gallardo or the last matches with Gallardo in the bench, it was impossible for Gonzalo Pires to, to, to replace Mamana. Yeah. Uh, and Barco is the other one, Ezequiel Barco, the former Independiente, attacking the midfielder. Now, I think that the Michelis have given him more, more uh, freedom to play. 
Yeah. Uh, he's not like in a cage uh, or in the in in, in a sub, uh, playing uh, uh, besides the line, but uh, being more uh, associating more with the other players, with the other midfielders, creating play. So it's I think it's of course so far I uh, it's clear that we can't complain about that about the, the style. Yeah, and it's been interesting. I find it interesting to look because it it's clearly the same kind of. DNA um, as the Gachalo side in that you know it presses by South American standards presses very high up the pitch um, and uh, tries to kind of keep the ball and, and to take risks but it's also it's not quite as uh, vertical or quite as direct it's as more position of the ball more and there is as you say there's more of that kind of rotation of positions on the pitch which is really interesting to see it's a bit more sort of edging towards the sort of stereotypical kind of Dutch and that, total football thing where everyone plays in every position when you're on the ball. But um, at, that also uh, uh, gives you, or it will make for you to to, to be, uh, I mean, uh, the, the, the intense that you have, have to be to, to move constantly is of course uh, high. Hmm. And, and, and yes, so far it's, uh, they are doing it, uh, I think, perfect, perfectly. Yeah. And when last we recorded, Lucas Beltran was the only one of the three uh, centre-forwards who'd actually managed to score any goals. But now he's been joined and they all have. Salomon Rondon has a couple. Yes. Miguel Borja has one. And there are plenty of goals from all over the rest of the pitch as well. Nacho Fernandez has got three. Barco's got three. Pablo Solari got a couple. Um, That's another case of a player who was a bit like very, very uh, I think, with no confidence and since a lot uh, a couple of, of matches ago, he looks like he recovered that confidence, mm. uh, and of course we will see whether he he's fit for or or uh, with the form to be in the starting lineup or not. But uh, when he uh, played the first matches uh, after Colo Colo, uh, playing for Colo Colo, it looked like he will be with full of energy, and that was a thing that he he um, uh, told it as as. Perhaps the main reason why he was a lack of confidence, or not very with the high highest uh, uh, moods, which is that his uh, grand grandmother died and passed away, and mm. and well, that is like it's something he still is struggling against uh, to be to perhaps focus on the matches, and then well, yes, of course you lose uh, uh, something you wanted so much, and it's sad, but uh, uh, when you go to the pitch, perhaps you have to. Try to do your best effort, and he's he's doing that. Yeah, uh, Dan. Just as an aside, how many does Guerrero have for Racing now? Two as well. Uh, two, I believe. Yes. Okay. I was just checking in so on that. Uh, they are little uh, Guerrero versus Rondon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> non bet. Was Rondon two as well? Rondon. So Ooh. yeah, that was one. Um, moving on to San Lorenzo, who are six points, as I mentioned, behind River, um, level on goals conceded. Eight goals behind on goals scored, so they're winning their matches differently, and they're not winning as many of them, but they're still very hard to beat, and they're having, I mean, it's, it's San Lorenzo. How many of us would have predicted that they'd be having this kind of no. uh, season? It's, I think it's all, all, all in Sua work. Yeah, uh, it's magnificent. Uh, uh, they did lose just now, in fact, while we were watching the Racing game, they lost 2-0 at home to Fortaleza in the Libertadores, um, and they dropped... Americano. In the Sudamericana, sorry, thank you. Yeah. 
and they dropped a bit of ground to River at the weekend. I think it was just before River's game that they after. drew nil-nil. Just after, after River's yeah. game, that's right. Yeah, they drew <laughs> nil-nil away to Tacheres. But prior to that, since we last recorded, they had beaten uh, Atletico Tucumán 3-1 away. And for the people who were keeping count of red cards, by the way, they were... But it was quite demanding for San Lorenzo, and in fact, Augusto Batalla saved the penalty. Yes, and San, and San Lorenzo then beat uh, Boca 1-0 at home um, in the next match prior to that 0-0 draw with, with Tacheres. Um, I mean, they're, they're doing really well. They're just the same as they've been doing all year, grinding out them results. It, uh, it, it's not pretty and it's, it's not definitely relevant. not pretty I mean apart from the fact they're second in the table it's relatively unspectacular but at the same time you know nine months ago if you'd said to a San Lorenzo fan this is where you're going to be 12 games into the Liga Profesional season I'm they'd have taken it I mean they were they were you know genuinely threatened with relegation at the beginning of last year and for yeah. them to not just you know uh play being being at uh one of the two main continental competitions in South America when they were heading for relegation not just that but also you know second in the league I mean they won't care about the way in which they do it not at all no uh, there's a little bit of distraction now because we've put Argentina versus Ecuador on in the Sudamericano under 17 under 17 17 South American Championship and Ecuador has just scored an absolute looter to go 1-0 up uh, just under 6 minutes in it's like revenge for Alcas Yes, that's clearly what he sent them all out there with yeah. the manager. He told them the news and said, go and do it for our well, boys. Do it for the, the idiot who scored the own goal. Anyway, Virginia has already qualified, I think. For They're into the Under-17 World Cup, yes. Um, and we will have a bit more on underage group World Cups in a short while. Some of you will already be have guessed why this is. Um, but yeah, San Lorenzo. I was going to say we could do it as an extra, Sam. But oh yeah, no, but I think, I, I mean... We're going to mention the news. I will mention it. Okay. And then you're quite right. Yeah, we'll cover it in a bit more detail in the extra itself. Um, well, they didn't have a very good result tonight, San Lorenzo, at least. No, I mentioned that. Oh, sorry. Just now. I said, while, while Racing were playing, they were losing. In the, and you corrected me, in fact. You said it was Sudamericana, not Libertadores. No, I didn't. Yeah, I just... Did I? Yeah. I wasn't listening at all. This, this is... just being automatic. little peek behind the scenes for a yeah. uh, hand of pod. Regulars <laughs> there. Dan, Dan just... Completely on autopilot. Correct me anyway when I get this stuff mixed up. It's a gift. Their next two games are at home to Platense and away to Vélez before they visit Palestino in the Libertadores. Um, so just looking at where are Platense and Vélez in the league, they're... Ooh. Well, okay, I've just scrolled all the way down the table and haven't seen them, which means Vélez is 16th and Platense 12th. So not quite as easy as can't remember whose uh, next upcoming fixtures we mentioned who were way down on the table. But, you know, they're, they're going to need to win them anyway. The, the pressure is on because of the fact that River are looking domestically, at least, unstoppable. Yeah, what, what can happen for River is that perhaps they relax a bit because they see that they are the, they are the, the second or the, the runner-up or the potential runner-up is, in, is six points away. And you perhaps may say... Well, yes, OK, yeah. let's pay more attention to the Copa Libertadores. Give the chance to get Gachado on and just start changing <laughs> the entire team. But the, I, I, think, I wonder whether there are kind of a couple of things playing against that, though. One of which is the fact that for most of Gachado's time, or at least for most of the second half of Gachado's time in charge, the league 
and the business end of the league coincided with the business end of the Copa Libertadores, which isn't going to happen this year because they've moved the league to the first half or the first two-thirds or whatever it is of the year now. Um, so, you know, once the group stage, they've just got to get out of the group in the Libertadores and then they can bin off the Copa de la Liga for the knockout stage of the Libertadores. Um, and the other is that Demichelis hasn't won anything yet, right? Gachardo came in and won the Sudamericana six months in, and from that point on, it was like, right, we're going to prioritise the continental stuff. Uh, I think the River are going to be focused on the league this season because they've got a six-point lead, and Demichelis must be looking at this and going, this is my chance to get off on in, in a winning kind of style anyway. Um, so I think River are going to be very difficult to stop. And the other thing was that one thing I was kind of preparing to say before last night's match, when I was thinking, oh, well, you know, how are we going to frame this on the podcast, is they haven't conceded goals in absolutely ages, apart from right. away in La Paz, which is like, yeah, okay. In the league, but you can like, still bonus. strap in the league in and uh, yeah, exactly. your statement, you know, it's still true. Other than other than the three one defeat in La Paz, they, they've not been kind of up against. It. They found everything fairly easy going for a very long time now. What are they going to do when the chips are down? And last night, two two, they've conceded two goals for the first time in ages, and they're, they're at you home one, in front of their own fans, and they've got one player less because of the red card. But red, red and they card. react by going out and scoring two goals in the opening twelve minutes. Yeah, it was significant. I think uh, the, uh, the the changes that Demichelis made uh, at halftime were something of a statement of intent because I mean he actually uh, touched on that when he was uh, interviewed this uh, this afternoon by ESPN in the sense that if uh, River did not concede right after Enzo Diaz was sent off he would have uh, brought in uh, a right back and sent uh, Milton Kako to the left as yeah. he was supposed to do but since uh, he, they conceded and they went to two at halftime, he decided. Well, uh, it won't be right. It won't be right if we hold on for a draw at home. We yeah. better, you know, actually go for it and score and score a couple more. So he decided to send in uh, Rodrigo Liendro to get them more balance in the midfield, which was severely lacking from the moment he yes. he decided he wouldn't start. Mm. And Pablo Solari, another forward, and instead Solari of ended up scoring the fourth goal. Solari ended up being crucial for them. And only after they went 4-2, that's when he finally uh, built that four-man yeah. back line again. But yeah. that's, I mean, for a manager to prioritize scoring goals with a man down instead of, uh, especially with uh, that man down and the goal coming one after the other in a one-two punch and right before halftime, yeah. that would have been extremely demotivating to players. And, but and also, him, not just that, but also, I mean, the thing that struck me was Nicolas de la Cruz was the man who mm-hmm. Aliendro came on to replace. Right. And he had a good first half. He scored the opening. Uh, sorry, he yeah, scored but the opening goal. He scored I mean, the equaliser. He was good, um, but he was uh, he was just not giving the midfield any kind of balance. Well, exactly. Yes. But he, classic De La Cruz headless chicken. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> running around. Running all over. I mean, if he has if he has a like a, a safety net for him mm. to go all the way box to box. Mm. Un, kind of uncontrollable midfield. Uh, yeah, but he's not Aliendro, of course. Exactly, because Aliendro and Enzo Perez were the were the guy the guys who gave uh, River some control in the midfield. The, the midfield was highway during that first half, and uh, Sporting Cristal were you know attacking a lot through the middle. I think Enzo Perez and, and Michelis may have a top there, and and Enzo Perez perhaps said, eh, "Look, I I can't be there alone. Eh, please eh, put someone beside me." Uh, I, I can run when with Aliendro or whatever, uh, someone who is with me there in the midfield, 
But what was remarkable about last night and the, the other the, on Sunday in news is that they they could uh, they were good after the, the critical situations. Yeah. Uh, especially uh, with the uh, red card and considering a goal right after after that. And against news, I think it was the only match, or well, against Belgrano and Arsenal, mm. it was another another thing, other thing, but. With this uh, strike of winning, uh, of course, yeah. Sorry, yeah. One thing I forgot to mention about that one-nil win against Newell's right before San Lorenzo's nil-nil with Tacheres is that, as you're about to say, I'm guessing they scored with literally the last touch of the game to win. Yes, it. yes, and, and yeah, with some huge help from the goalkeeper, yeah, from Rochus. <laughs> yes, going huge out, help. you know where, but, but they had to keep going right the way to the death. Yes, and, and that is someone. Some people say said. It was the the lucky of the champion mm. that the champion needs. <laughs> lucky of the champion. Uh, but uh, um, it was the the first match from these six or seven matches in which River won. That news was better than River. News uh, I, 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 deserved the win, yeah. or at least not to lose. But uh, yes, last match, and that is a good thing is that they were focused until the last the last play. And Solari, which I I I, I said that. He needed something like that to raise his confidence. Yeah, and also I, I'll just say, as someone who grew up watching Manchester United during the 1990s, people who don't support that team will call it the luck of champions, or they'll just say, "Oh, you're jammy bastards" or whatever. But it's also the mindset that, yes. <laughs> that yeah. keeps, even when you're being outplayed, that keeps you going. No, you're not going to beat us, and actually, also we're going to win the game right at the end. Um, it, it, it's a big thing as well that when you're not playing well, yes. you get the result. So for the moment, we're going to stick our necks out very bravely and say that River are favourites at this stage for the Liga Profesional, albeit with more than half the season still to go. Um, Rosario Central and Tacheres are third and fourth with 22 and 21 points each. Defensive Justicia and Belgrano also have 21 points each. Um, but River with 30 points very much in the driving seat. Uh, so an honourable mention to the others. And one thing that I do think we should mention, even though we're not going to go into any particular individual matches otherwise, and as I said at the top, we're just going to give you the broad brushstrokes, is that I feel a little bit sorry for deciding to do this in a week in which Godoy Cruz and Lanús have just <laughs> four, four. have just managed to produce not only 4-4, four, four, but 4-3 four, after 40 minutes. Wow. Mm. In a, then, in a, at a match with where there were like seven or eight goals in the rest of the games yeah yeah as well um, yeah it was something like I think because there were two games on that late Monday kickoff, uh, which was also for Legal Central against someone or other and up until the kickoff of those two games let's go been, to Kumambo yeah, yeah there was a notoriously there were nine goals in mm-hmm. the 12 games that preceded yeah. that exactly. late Monday kickoff, mm. and then 12 goals just in those two games, yeah. eight before half time. It was 2 0 to Lanus after nine minutes. Uh, it was 2 2 after 30 minutes. It was 4 2 to Lanus after 35 minutes. Um, Salomon Rodriguez pulled one back after 39 minutes to make it 4 3. And then Godoy Cruz, I, I still I didn't watch any of this game actually. I meant to re watch the whole first half mm. yesterday afternoon, but I got a bunch of work coming. Of course, watch the and second half. In stoppage no time, goals. Yeah. Yeah. In stoppage time, Diego Rodriguez uh, equalised with a penalty for Godoy Cruz. So, Russo. an honourable mention as well to Godoy Cruz and Lanus for producing. That I was going to say, would you be surprised at all to learn that Russo Rodriguez was involved in that game? 
I mean, not, not only, not only that, I mean, it's right. been, it's two, two games in over he scored, actually. Yeah. So, he hadn't scored since his Independiente days, back in 2015. And now we see him back again doing his uh, walk-in <laughs> to the penalty spots. He does love a leisurely stroll to uh, uh-huh. opposition penalty area. He's a straight man. Ah, oh, Russo. Never change. And that previous match that he scored him finished. 3-2 as well, right? Yeah, yeah, 3-2. <laughs> 3-2 win away to Arsenal. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're not talking about anything else very much in depth. It will be going on forever, but congratulations to those two as well. I felt bad. And it was so. two matches ago that Pepe Sanz scored oh, a did penalty. He? Oh, I missed this completely. Yes, yeah, still years. scoring goals. Only penalties, but still goals. Yeah. That was before, I think, wasn't it? Because he was on the bench um, at half-time, at least. Um, in that 4-3 first half. I think it was the week before. Yeah, well, Andres said it was two matches ago. Oh, sorry. So that was the 1-1 draw away to centre of Cordoba, if Andres is right. I no, don't know if it was two Leandro matches Diaz or two Spartan. weeks, which will be three or four matches because uh, of the midweek see. rounds. Yes, he scored a, a, the penalty for the third goal against Arsenal uh, three games ago, so since oh. we last recorded. Um, yeah, two and a half, two and a half, three and a half weeks ago. When did we last, we last recorded three weeks three ago? Three weeks ago, yes. So two and a half weeks ago. Yes. And I think there is one more result that, because we haven't been doing results, results we've been doing broad strikes, is Be- worth mentioning. Before you read it out, I would just explain to new listeners, i.e. people who've been started listening in the last year, why Andres said that. It is because in scoring that goal, Pepe Sant has extended his own record as the oldest player ever to score in the Argentine top flight. Yes. At the age of, as Andres said, about 42. 42 Several days got that uh, done. I was called to undress them. <laughs> Argentina Juniors going to Sao Paulo, yes, and beating Corinthians yeah. away right for after the they second consecutive Copa Libertadores win, and also right after they had beaten uh, the current Copa Sudamericana and Recopa Sudamericana champions in the beginning mm. of Russia. Yeah. yeah. It's shaping up to me. I mean, it was cracking Libertadores. It's been a lot of upsets. I mean, they were in probably one of the toughest groups of the whole competition. They just went on and won won their first two games, which is yeah, yeah. I put it down as a mini group of death, like at least for for Argentina juniors. But yeah, beating Independiente del Valle in the first game, which isn't easy at all. Uh, A little bit easier when you're playing in Buenos Aires rather than Quito, and then beating Corinthians away from home. Right, and uh, one of the it also produced one of the best images of the week when uh, uh, Corinthians had the final kick of the game and uh, Fausto Vera, a former Argentina player, was mm. stepping up for a free kick, mm. and uh, Milito took it uh, took it up to his own hands, literally, mm. to stop uh, Fausto Vera from you know proceeding to 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 you know get that free kick. By you know grabbing him, yelling stuff into his ear, <laughs> and doing all those all those kind of distracting tactics to get him out of the game, and it worked. It worked. Argentina's next Libertadores matches are away to Liverpool of Uruguay, and then at home to Corinthians. So, Ooh, the Estadio Diego Armando Maradona is going to be bumping. Indeed. And Possibly. speaking of that, that's a beautiful segue that you've just given me the opportunity for, Dan, because Dan and I this evening discovered. Uh, I don't know when this happened, I'm guessing Dan doesn't either, that the Estadio Unico de la Plata, the municipal stadium mm-hmm. in uh, the capital of Buenos Aires province, 
has at some point apparently been renamed after Diego Maradona as well. Hmm. So Maradona has two stadiums named after him in Argentina now. At um, least. And another one in Naples. Eh? And another one in Naples. Yes, and one in Naples as well, but that's not in Argentina. But th- that match isn't that match. That team is barely used. Uh, it will be used for football. It's used for an awful lot. Not of really, yeah, because uh, I mean, the Juventus have, have their own stadium and Hindus have their own stadium. So why would it be used for? No, that's what Andres is saying. It's barely used. Oh yeah, uh, for for football, but it will yeah. be used for football and this, uh, in yeah, the next that, couple of months. Here's exactly. a segue coming up because nice. Argentina, uh, through a turn of events that I don't think any of us expected, <laughs> and this this was already underway when we last recorded, but we didn't mention it because it sounded kind of improbable. Um, are going to be hosting the Under Twenty World Cup in mm. a month's time. It kicks off one yeah, month today, May twentieth. Uh, how has this happened? If you've not been following the news. Then I will tell you. It was supposed to be held in Indonesia. Indonesia. Thank you. I was about. To, I, I was wondering whether it was Indonesia or Malaysia. It was supposed to be held in Indonesia. It isn't doing because of some political stuff that I haven't been paying as much. Because to. the governor of Bali, I believe it was, yes. uh, objected to That's, the yes, Israel. Israeli team traveling. Yes, because Bali is a majority Muslim. Um, Indonesia is a. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, world's largest yeah, yeah. Muslim country. Yes. Right. And, uh, almost two or three days after Argentina said, "Yeah, I can do, I can yeah. do it." Well, so, also though, FIFA, FIFA had an issue finding a um, a new host, a, a new host nation, because it because of the fact that the hosts get a spot and qualification obviously finished ages ago, mm-hmm. they couldn't really name a, a nation that had already qualified um, yes. for as the host nation. So Chiqui Tapia said, look, we can host it. We've got loads of massive stadiums in Argentina. Mm-hmm. And it took a little while. But We already did Argentina, host the under-20s World Cup as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they were also, I think, pretty much the only country that was <laughs> able to stay. I mean, there was Peru, yeah, but Peru were then not just, uh, they weren't, not only were they not awarded the under World Cup, but they also stripped on the other side of the 17 World yeah, Cup. Yeah, both. Was, <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. Like, can we host both of them? No, you you, you can't, can't even have any. You don't. Not only you can't host the under twenties, but you can't host the under seventies as well. So why? I I just read a headline about that and didn't look into it. For that was why to do with infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. because uh, they at one point they they wanted to just to be hosted in Lima, and that couldn't be possible because even the pitches in Lima weren't at the <laughs> required standard to host an under and under seventeens World Cup, let alone an under twenties World Cup. Uh-huh. So clearly yeah, they wanted were, to protect the players from high altitude as well. Yeah, pretty yes. much. So yeah, it's what uh, the, kill, the kids currently call a Chiqui Tapia Masterclass. Indeed. It is. Um, today, the stadiums have been announced. There will be four of them. Mm-hmm. And they are the, apparently, Estadio Diego Maradona um, in La Plata, uh, which is the stadium formerly known as the Estadio Unico or Estadio Municipal. The Madre de Ciudades in Santiago del Estero, which is the white elephant where Argentina played... Um, they're last friendly and that will be as I know confirmed but uh, the idea to play the first and the final match no I think uh, the opening game is going to be at Santiago del Estero and the final is going to be at La Plata yeah Ah, Um, the Bicentenario in San Juan and the Malvinas Argentinas in Mendoza which FIFA of course is referring to as Estadio Mendoza Wait, apparently, uh, actually, I've worked, on, the, I've worked on this, and uh, apparently everyone involved says it's not a political decision. And no, it's just down ev- to... Not, yeah. yeah, every stadium will be named after their host city, city. apparently. Um, so it's not political. Mm. But yes, yeah, so it, it's nothing to do with the fact that England are going to be involved in this tournament, which is going to be 
I'm quite annoyed there are no venues in. I mean, apparently, well, we will have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see at the at the draw, you know, which mm. how they're going to name the stadium because mm. I mean, it, it is kind of a custom. Well, they're going to name it Estadio Mendoza. Yeah, who uh, knows? The, the thing is, uh, I mean, even when you look at back at the 2014 World Cup in Brazil, you had some stadiums named after sponsors or after certain clubs, yeah. and their name was changed mm. to the city, the yeah. city hosting. So it's not like uh, this doesn't have any precedent either. No, exactly. No. So. Um, although it's not a sponsor, so again, it's an interesting decision. Anyway, uh, but the reason that I find the inclusion of the Malvinas Argentinas interesting is not actually the change of that, uh, of name, but the fact that they have specifically, apparently, deliberately chosen stadiums that aren't going to be used in the Liga Profesional during the tournament. So where are Godoy Cruz playing the home match that they're going to have during the tournament? Well, you're going to ask the same thing for Central Cordo. Well, they have to go... Yeah. Back to their own stadium. I think Central Córdoba play almost all of their matches uh, in their own stadium. They only no. play against Boca River in oh, the uh, okay. Madrid. Right. But Godoy Cruz, I, I, I mean, they, they haven't they, they haven't opened the stadium yet. They've definitely got at least one home game yeah. during the Liga Profesional. But then Godoy Cruz did go back to the home stadium for a while. Did, did no, but that was only in, in, during COVID because they because they, they have no ah. they don't have enough uh, capacity to play. Which then again, they do have the capacity if the the bar which with 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 which me, with which we measure the capacity for stadiums in the first division mm-hmm. is the Chiquitapia Stadium. Right. It it has like three times the amount of people. <laughs> uh, I mean, and finally, Marcelo will be in the the bench. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, former Independiente manager and former Doc Sud manager Leandro Tilitano is back as assistant manager of what? the Argentina under twenties. Oh my days! So Godoy Cruz during the tournament, which goes from the twentieth of May to the eleventh of June. Godoy Cruz will be playing, uh, well, the weekend of the 21st of May. So this may, they might decide to play it on the 19th. I don't know. They're at home to Gimnasia. Uh, the 4th of June, they're going to be at home to Independiente. So at least minimum one match during the tournament. So mm. we'll see. M- yeah. Maybe they're deliberately doing it this way so that they can play it. Yeah, they'll just cross the road and use Independiente Rivadavia Stadium. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not far to go. Mm-hmm. True. But, um, yeah, watch this space. The uh, POTS, Argentina as host nation, obviously go into POT 1, even though they failed to qualify. <laughs> um, which is uh, Argentina, Uruguay, United States, Italy, France and Senegal. POT 2 is Ecuador, England. So we could end up with them both in the same group. That would be good. New Zealand, Brazil, Colombia, South Korea. POT 3 is Nigeria, Honduras, Fiji, Uzbekistan, Japan... Sorry, the fact that this is in English and I'm translating on the fly. Sorry, but... Excuse me there. Japan and Iraq. And pot four is Dominican Republic, Israel, Slovakia, Tunisia, Gambia and Guatemala. And the draw uh, will already have taken place by the time a lot of you listen to this because it's scheduled for 11am Argentine time on Friday, uh, i.e. in about 14, 13 and a half hours time from when we're recording this right now. Uh, it's going to be held in Zurich rather than here in Argentina, but the news article that I'm reading here has it in obviously Argentine time zone. Andres? No, they of course may call it Estadio Mendoza, but of course there are banners yeah. with mm-hmm. Estadio Malvinas, Argentinas, and of course England, they don't, you don't know whether England will play there or not. Yeah, you, you don't know yet, so yes. yeah. I think that will be wherever, <laughs> wherever England play, I'm sure they'll get a very friendly welcome. Um, <laughs> 
yeah, they want to push in that particular stadium. Yeah, there yeah, won't, uh, won't be people. Uh, and even more, actually, more so. In Mendoza, they'd arguably get the friendliest welcome because that's just part of Chile, right? <laughs> no, but having said that, uh, the Malvinas Argentinas also became a very iconic place for Scottish fans mm. because that's where they beat, uh, was it the Netherlands? Yeah. In 78. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> everything everything adds up, you know. Indeed. Um, so, yeah, we don't yet know where Argentina are going to be playing their matches. We don't know where. For our listeners, England and the United States are going to be playing their matches because the draw's not been taking place. Mm-hmm. Not been taken place, not been made. Yeah, but still, yet. it's only it's four venues, so it is very likely that they will play at least one match there. Well, it depends how much travelling they want them to do during the group stage, I guess. They might centre each group in Yeah, I mean, I mean you have, you know, like two two and two, you know, one two to the, the west and two to the east. Yeah. So Yeah, you you, you may you may yeah, there is a possibility that they might not play there. Yeah. I'd, I'd have thought they'd have one group centred around each... Because is it four groups? Four, no, it's six. It's four pots. It's six. It's six, six groups. groups it? Six yeah. groups. Yeah. I'd have thought they'd have, yeah, maybe two stadiums will host two groups and the other two will host one each or something like that. Mm-hmm. that. That would seem to make the most sense. Because especially the under-20, I'm guessing they're going to have one game after the other in, in, in a stadium rather than... Mm. I can't remember. I've not paid that much attention to previous under-20 World Cups, to be perfectly honest. But I'm, I'm guessing that that's And there are no chances for uh, Manchester gosh. United to release Garnacho, right? I would have thought not. I mean, part of me wonders whether it might be a little bit more possible now that the Europa League final is obviously not going to be a thing as we record today. Yeah, but the thing is, I mean, um, with the Garnacho still injured now... Well, he's, back, will... in, he's back in training. They wanted to... to um, and he should return before the end of the season. But... But do they trust He's going to be a big part of the league running. Exactly. it... He, they're not obliged to release him. The, the only clubs who are obliged to release players for it are Argentine clubs. Obviously, they're obliged by the AFA rather than by FIFA. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think Argentina named him in the squad more out of hope than anything. But having, uh, having said that, having said that, I mean, I think uh, other than Garnacho, the only other you know regular first team player in, playing in Europe in that list, in that list is probably Matias Soule, who plays for Juventus, and according to several uh, news outlets. He was granted permission to join the Argentina yeah, squad. Yeah, but he's, he's much less important to Juventus than Garnacho, who either starts or is like... I mean, he's not starting I mean, I feel like he started a similar number of games than Garnacho, Sule, mm-hmm. actually. Because, I mean, Garnacho yeah, has yeah, to be with you, Anthony, with a, with a guy who cost a hundred million yeah, pounds. Juventus, Juventus has spent a big chunk of this season in mid-table without the hope of winning. The, I gather they got given their points back. Just yeah, yeah they, they, are, they are, actually. But for most of the season, they've been like, well, we're not going to win the league. You know that affects your your team, team selection selection yeah. as well, right? Whereas Garnacho is clearly a, whether he starts or not, he's clearly a key part of United squad. I still and think he's short sighted. He's just coming. He should be back in the United team, but I doubt they really want to give him away and extend this season further at such a young age. I think it'd be short sighted though, United, not to let him go because that's the kind of experience that can make a player like Barcelona. Mm-hmm. What, what I would say to go for like the biggest example could have just said exactly the same thing. Yeah. About Messi in 2005. And, yeah, and but, but wait, uh, but the 2005 World Cup uh, happened in June. So I think uh, back then they had a lot less reservations. There was, there was a bit the, the, the issue was yeah. in 20, 2008 with the Olympics. It was in the Olympics. Yeah. And Messi kicked up a big fuss and insisted mm-hmm. to Barcelona. Yeah. And if Garnacho starts to say to United, look, I really want to go and represent Argentina. Which I think he will, because he seems very infused with the whole because, uh, now being Argentina. Uh-huh. Also, also remember, remember he wants to... Uh, if he did that, then I'd be completely yeah. okay with the club saying... Okay, sure. 
Like, you know, we'll yeah. let you do it. Keep him happy. As far as but I if he well, doesn't, if he's interested in, in playing for the, the senior national team, as far as I he's been called up for already. He will he miss only one match. Wait, could be important or not, but yeah. not, well, really. He, he not really. Not really. He needs four matches. He misses one Premier League, the last yes. uh, to, to, round to, of the, to the Argentina national team. He misses the last round of the Premier League, and when the squad was announced, possibly two cup finals, but you know, still a possibility of one cup final. If United lose on Sunday in the FA Cup semi-final, then maybe that is the point where they go, yeah, you know what, you can have it after. I think maybe he, he could miss even two or three games uh, because, I mean, if he needs to get with the with the national team squad a few days before debut and you, you consider that the final day of the Premier League is on the May, May the 28th and United will yeah. probably have a game rescheduled because of the FA Cup semi-final, that could mean two or three games which he might miss. You've just reminded me of another one, Sam, indirectly. Fagunda mm-hmm. um, Bonanote. Oh, right. Sorry, yeah, United have a, a match away to Bournemouth on the 20th. So exactly. So that one as well, presumably. Yeah, you're right. Fagunda uh, Bonanote, so we, we could say that Bonanote and Garnacho will be playing on Sunday for the right oh, to yeah, go to the. Yeah, yeah, yeah but then again, Bonanote hasn't, hasn't played a lot this season since he joined Brighton either. He was unlucky because um, he, he went to the South yeah. American yeah. under 20s, got an injury. Came back. I mean, you know, he's 18 and just arrived in England. He's not going to play every game, of course. Yeah, but the, the, that's the thing. Like, in most players who are based in Europe, they're not playing a lot of games. I mean, even uh, Perroni. Well, gets on more often than he doesn't for, yeah, okay, for yeah. Like, him and Enciso, like, they're definitely part of the plans. Uh, Enciso is a lot more of a, of a regular than Buonanotti. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, Anyway, thank, thank you for bringing that up, Andres, so that it didn't just sound like me trying to crow about Manchester United. It's a yes, another block. <laughs> um, but yeah, did we have anything else to discuss? No, I think that's probably the, the We've obviously overlooked the relegation battle for this season. Oh, this season? No, we haven't. Sorry, I mean, this still week. like eight months uh, ago. Exactly, yeah. There, there's plenty of that still to go. So shall we go into Mystic Sam? Yes. Let's do uh, We have some questions. Oh, we've got the... F- Bloody hell. <laughs> I, I went into my browser on my phone as well and then thought, why have I just done that? And um, yeah, you're quite right. We do have some questions. Uh, one was a few days, no, it wasn't. It was ooh, a week ago, a week and a bit ago from Bagful of Toffee who says, I think it's time for a longer discussion of the job Ian Sua is doing on your next pod. Uh, you're probably right, Bagful of Toffee, but we have been going for quite some time and we did give him some credit, albeit rather fleetingly rather than a long discussion. Um, a little bit earlier, so we'll leave it for now. But no doubt we'll be revisiting that during the season. If we need Mariana back, really, to give us that proper yeah, San Lorenzo yes. fan perspective. Uh-huh. Um, and the two questions we have had this evening are from A. Palawan, who says, "Just starting to follow Argentine football recently. Quick question: Do you think Martin Demichelis will be able to replicate what Marcelo Gallardo did in his long spell with River?" And why your podcast? Why is your podcast so short? We need more. Thank you. I think that's the <laughs> no first one's time. ever said that. Especially <laughs> none of the people in this house at the moment. Indeed. Um, but thanks. Yeah. As I said earlier, um, Debbie Chelis has got off to a, a fine start. In, albeit he's taking the league seriously, so in that respect, he isn't replicating Gasharino. But I guess we have to throw this over to Andres. Yeah, eight matches against fifteen. Eight, eight years against fifteen matches. Hmm. So yes. He's on his way. But so far... I mean, he's a, he, he might achieve in, uh, you know, a few months what Gachado took seven years to achieve. So. This is true. Yes. Um, and Liam Kelly, who has no relation to me, says, given the high number of red cards we've seen, 
63 in 168 <laughs> matches. And thank you for doing the maths for me there, Liam. And also, that's I should say, that's in spite of there being a much lower number of red cards in the three weeks that we've just taken off. How many more will we get by the end of the season? And is there a genuine fear Independiente will be relegated given they are in crisis? I mean, they're actually, both of them are kind of related because Independiente have been a red card machine. They were getting a red card every other game. It, it was incredible. And they were not exactly, you know, such, you know, crunching tackles. They were just really silly red cards. Yeah. So, uh, in terms of the relegation table, Independiente are... Uh, no, 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 that's not the table you have to worry about. They're points, but on the last, kind yeah. of the year one, they were right. No, there. but actually, actually, that this is the table you need yeah. to take care of, because no, there, is a, there is a table, uh, I mean, the, the oh, final... Sorry, of course, yes. The last place team... In the relegation table, they're not that far down, but in the Anuel, which the bottom team, as we mentioned several times this season, goes into, and Santi was just reminding me of... They are 25th out of 28 and two points ahead of Union. So there is yeah. a risk. They are really, really close to it. Uh, it they be need hard. to pick a point. I think it would be hard to be worse over the course of a year than Union, Arsenal and um, a few They're doing their worst, worst, you know. They're really doing, doing their, their worst. best worst. But I don't think their worst best will be best of the worst to worsen. <laughs> one of the best uh, sentences that have, been, have ever been uttered in the history of this podcast maybe yeah um, and as for the red card question I mean I, I don't have time to go through the maths yet or even work out how many matches there are left in this season but well, we're, we're basically halfway through right? we're less than halfway through the league so I'm guessing that we're going to see more than 63 red cards I think we can break 100. But as I said, yeah, no, I, I would say, yeah, that, that's probably the safer bet because it has slowed down quite a bit in recent weeks. Um, so, yeah, but 100 seems like a manageable target. 100 would be, what is it? For the league as a whole. To 13 rounds left? Uh, 15, we said, didn't we? 12, didn't we? Ba- 12 rounds in, and there are 27 rounds over. We're only 12 so rounds in, are you sure? Yes. All right. Um, in that case, yeah, I think we can. Definitely get to uh, to hundred. We believe just about it's about two uh, two around. We believe in the Very collective capacity of the Liga Profesional to produce that many uh, matches. Uh, red cards, sorry. Yeah. Anyway, right after this music, you will hear Mystic Sam's predictions for the weekend ahead. Okay, this weekend, beginning on Friday evening with Colón versus Vélez. I think that will be a Vélez win. I think Lanús will beat Sarmiento. Um, oh, just the one match on Friday, because these other matches were on Saturday. Interesting. Arsenal versus Union, I think, will be a draw and a proper relegation scrap as well, yeah. given what we just said. Belgrano versus Newell's Old Boys, I think, will be a Newell's win. Central Cordoba versus Godoy Cruz, the, apparently the new team to make sure you watch if you want goals, um, will be a Godoy Cruz win. San Lorenzo will beat Platense. Rosario Central versus Boca Juniors is a draw, I think. Instituto versus Banfield uh, is also a draw. Estudiantes versus Tacheres is a Tacheres. Ooh, they're both in good form, aren't they, actually? Tasher is a fourth, but Estudiantes are 
I mean, 10th, but I've won got a couple of good results recently. I'll go for Atasharis' win, anyway. River vs. Independiente is probably the match that gives me the least pause uh, of this weekend. Sorry, Santi, but I think River will win it. Barracas Central versus Defensa y Justicia is a Barracas Central win. Racing versus Atletico Tucumán in the Clásico de los clubs who gave the national team their colours um, is a Racing win, I think. They'll, they'll pick up again. Follow, thanks to that horrendous own goal they benefited from earlier. That's what they needed. Argentinos versus Gimnasia will be an Argentinos win. And Tigre versus Huracan uh, looks to me like it's going to be a Tigre win because Tigre are deeply unremarkable, but Huracan have fallen off a cliff since their impressive, um, well, their impressive performance last season. Also, they're pretty, if I remember right. Yeah, they're just a river back as well. I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are the weekend fixtures ahead. Thank you very much indeed for listening to us for this week, and we will be back. Well, hopefully again next week. I'm hoping not to have to take another couple of weeks off as well. So, uh, bye for now from Santi. Bye, guys. Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. English Town. Goodbye. And me. Thank you and goodbye.